Let's go ahead and be uh, turning our Bibles to Acts chapter number 3. Acts chapter number 3 is where we'll be at. And uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Ask His blessings on services today. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for the time of fellowship with one another already, and we thank you, Lord, for the beautiful weather this morning. We just ask you, Lord, that you meet with us today. I pray that you would uh, uh, just feed us from your word. I pray that you would help us to to glean from it. Help us, Lord, to uh, be clarified in our, our perspective, Lord, our view of you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be more focused in our uh uh, in our purpose as we have down here on this earth, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, ask you just to open up our eyes and our ears to your word. I pray, Lord, just help me as I speak, that I can speak the things that are needful and helpful. Be it those who aren't able to be with us this morning, the ones that are working and traveling. Lord, be it anyone who's still on their way out today, Lord, watch over them. Or be it the classes next door as well. And Lord, just help us as a church to be a light and a witness in this uh, place that we live in, Lord. We've been talking, Lord, there's definitely plenty of darkness here. Help us, Lord, to be a light. We thank you so much for all that you do. And like I I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Acts chapter number three is where we're at. And so far in Acts, uh, we've, been, we've been looking at how the Holy Spirit worked through the believers of the first church and how the church went from a scared small group in the upper room to being a vibrant and powerful force that evangelized the world. Uh, it says that they turned the world upside down with the gospel. And that was the uh, lost people's perspective of it, that they were turning the world upside down. And there is a, a huge difference between what we see in Acts chapter 1 and where we get up to the end of Acts. Uh, there is a huge difference that takes place there, and it is only it can only be attributed to the Holy Spirit working in mankind. And so that's been one of the things that I've been focusing on, is that we need to have the Lord working in us and through us. This isn't just something that we are doing of our own ambitions and our own desires that we're doing by our own powers, but instead we are seeking God to fill us and to use us and to work through us. And if we're trying to do it of our own volition, if we're trying to do it by our own abilities, we're going to flounder, we're going to fail. But if we do it through the power of God and through His Holy Spirit, great things can be accomplished. And so uh, last week we saw uh, the priorities of the Holy Spirit as he began his work in the early believers. And whenever he came, yes, there was uh, them uh, given the ability to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. There was the speaking in tongues aspect of it, but that wasn't the Holy Spirit's priority. We discussed how the, the whole thing of speaking in tongues was a sign to the Jews. It was a sign that was given in the Old Testament that with uh, people of other tongues and other languages would uh, God speak to them, and that's what was going on. It was a uh, a sign of judgment that had come upon the Jews. They had slaughtered their Messiah. They had rejected the God who bought them, and as a result, judgment was on their front doorstep. And God was turning from the Jews to the Gentiles, whose languages the Jews heard in Jerusalem. And so we saw that going on there, but the main purpose and the main point was that the Holy Spirit uh, enabled Peter to preach a powerful message that saw the conversion of thousands of people in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter, the unlearned fisherman who was always first to open his mouth, now had something in his mouth worth opening it for. Uh, he now had an understanding of scriptures that he hadn't previously had. How did he have that? It was by the working of the Holy Spirit. He wove together uh, beautifully the Old Testament prophecies and passages that referred to Jesus, proving from the scriptures, from the Bible, that Jesus indeed was the Lord and the Messiah, so that the Jews could not refute it. And as he preached this, he proclaimed Jesus. He proclaimed him uh, as the promised Messiah, it proclaimed him as the lamb that was slain to take away the sins of the world. And he proclaimed that the Jews indeed were guilty. And the Holy Spirit brought conviction upon them. And they said, what shall we do? And then Peter told them that God offers salvation. He offers forgiveness if they would repent, if they would 
change their hearts and their minds from their unbelief to belief on him. And signify that afterward it says, repent and be baptized. They were outwardly professing their belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And so whenever the Holy Spirit came, he didn't come for the miracles. He didn't come for the signs and the wonders. He came to bring the good news of salvation. He came to show the world what God had been working on since the beginning of time, what he had brought through uh, Jesus Christ, and what was available to all mankind. And so that was the Holy Spirit's priority in all this, was the salvation of mankind. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? He is seeking to lead people to repentance, right? And so that was the priority in all of it. If we aren't careful, we get tripped up in the things that are magnificent, miraculous, the things that uh, entertain us and will... uh, catch a hold of our imaginations and things, such as the speaking in tongues and the, the miraculous signs. But as I said, that was not God's priority. It had a place. It had a purpose. And they're trying to revive some of these things to this day. There are plenty that are trying to bring back tongues and trying to bring back uh, signs and wonders and miracles for their own show, for their own uh, uh, entertainment, whatever. But God had a place and a purpose for that back then. But his main purpose has always been the salvation of souls and salvation of mankind. And so uh, I would much rather have the knowledge and understanding of who God is and have the salvation that he offers than all of the miracles that are written throughout all of Scripture. All of those things are worthless if you, if you get too focused on them and you miss out on the purpose behind it, mm-hmm. okay? And so as we get to Acts chapter number three, we're going to move from kind of the corporate focus because we are looking at the church as a whole. We are looking at all of the group, all of the ones who are filled with the, with the Spirit. But now we're going to go more down into the individual level, okay? We're going to see the disciples in their day-to-day lives as they go about living for the cause of Christ, living as Christians in a lost and dying world because most of what happens for the glory of God doesn't take place within the walls of the church. It doesn't take place within our our physical gathering together of believers. We need to be gathered together. We need to encourage one another. We need to uh, learn from one another. We need to have this fellowship and this time together, but this is to encourage and empower us so that whenever we go out in this world, that we are able to live for the glory of God and to be a light shining forth into this world. That is our purpose. That is our main uh, our main work that we have to do is whenever we leave these walls. Yeah. Okay? And God never intended for us to be isolated. He never tended, intended for us to build uh, uh, monasteries or uh, different uh, whatever. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? These... Uh, ideas of having their own little uh, camp or compound or commune. There you go. He didn't intend for us to be isolated from the world. He intended for us to come together, to be empowered, and to be uh, encouraged so that we could go out in the world and shine forth the light of the gospel. Okay? And so he wants us to be insulated, not isolated. Okay? (laughs) Insulated, not isolated. We need to make sure to have a barrier between us and the wickedness and things that's in this world, but not to be isolated from it. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. So anyway, um, we're going to start here in Acts chapter number 3. I better go ahead and start reading. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1 is where we'll begin. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And so as we look at this passage, we see a miracle taking place, right? Miracle taking place. And we've been uh, looking at these things, and I've been talking about the miracles and about the tongues and all these that people get caught up on. But I'll start off by asking, what was the purpose of miracles in Scripture? Beginning to end, what was the purpose? To validate that Jesus was who he said he was. Okay. Okay. Who all? Yeah, and also like the praying in tongues or whatever is showing forth the authentication of God's new place of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the cloud and tongues of fire coming down mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, you know, it was always like it was very similar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay, so it's showing a significant change occurring, right? Yeah. Basically, it's it's a sign to the people saying God's doing something here. God's doing something different. Okay. Uh, at what point in time in the Bible do we find miracles? What what all is going on? Is it something that takes place from beginning to end? When do we find miracles taking place? Is it something that happens from beginning to end? Is it all the way through? Okay, so I need to I need to um, clarify. Okay, when was it in the Bible that men performed miracles? God's always performing miracles, right? God's still performing miracles. Okay. I'm trying to think back <laughs> Who was it that generally performed miracles? Right. Well, the men that did. The apostles in the New Testament. Prophets in the Old Testament. Did all prophets perform miracles? Well, it depends how you define miracles. What I mean is, like, okay. God rained down fire, you know what I mean, on people. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean, like brimstone and that. Right. I mean, today, in this age, I'll say that's a miracle, but at the same time, it's God's judgment. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Okay, so the, the, the clarification there I made was men having the ability, like Peter and John here saying, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And men performing the miracle. God's always performing miracles. We look at the time that the children of Israel were in the wilderness and he rained down uh, manna from heaven. We see uh, God doing all kinds of things all the way through Scripture. But man uh, man originated miracles. Okay? Where did they occur? Prophets. Okay? So uh, back to what I was saying a minute ago with what is the purpose of the miracles uh, there is generally specific people who work the miracles, people who have been given the given the ability. And the purpose behind the miracles uh, is, yes, it's a sign to the, the Jews. That was a, a big one. But it was to, as Katie was saying, it was to show that the person who was doing the miracles was of God. It was to authenticate uh, the messenger as well as the message, right? And as far as the time frames in which miracles happened within Scripture, we find that there is really three times in Scripture, three periods or seasons, which miracles were performed by men. And we find that surrounding Moses as he was leading the children of Israel out of the wilderness, showing that God was doing something big, was showing that God's hand was upon Moses and upon his uh, his spokesman Aaron, right? And so there was lots of miracles being performed there, right? As God was doing something big. But even during the time of the prophets, only f- very few of the prophets 
performed miracles, right? Right. And we find that it was whenever God was doing something big. Uh, Elijah and Elisha were the main ones that performed miracles in the Old Testament, right? We don't find Isaiah performing miracles. Jeremiah didn't perform miracles. Uh, Daniel had miracles in his life, but not ones that he performed. Uh, We find that uh, Hosea, uh, no, he had some pretty weird stuff going on in his life, but he didn't do any miracles. Uh, And all the rest of them that we look at, uh, they, for the most part, didn't perform miracles. And so what I'm getting at here is God has reserved miracles for a specific purpose at specific times to send a certain message to people, okay? And if he's authenticating his messengers and his message, oh, what about today? What about the so-called miracles of today? God's still working miracles. He's still healing people. He's still protecting people. Uh, He's curing cancer. He's uh, delivering people from uh, all kinds of situations. But as far as, you know, you go to Benny Hinn, he whacks you on the forehead. He doesn't have made performing miracles. He doesn't have. Because he was using miracles to signify that the men were of him and the message was his. But God has closed up his revelation. He has completed his message to us. And so this is the message, and it's already been authenticated. Mm -hmm. And how do we authenticate messengers now? By the word of God. And so whenever there is a messenger, he's not authenticated by the miracles and the signs and wonders he performs. It is authenticated by whether or not he is true to the word of God that has been revealed to us. Yes. He's a fraud and a phony. Now, can people work things that appear to be miracles today? Yes. Yes, yes that happens. And, but it's not of God's power because you can even go back to the time of Moses, right? And whenever Moses... And, yes. Yeah. Well, and even at the time of the judgment, there's going to be people who think they were doing God's work, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Have we not cast out devils in your name, and in your name did many wonderful works, mm-hmm. right? And they're going to think they were doing it by the power of God, and they were doing it by the power of Satan. So even they themselves are being deceived. So you look at some of these people, and they say they are of God, and they may actually believe it in their hearts, but the things that they are doing are not of God. And so you look at the time of Moses, whenever Moses and Aaron went in before Pharaoh, uh, he had his enchanters able to do similar things to what Moses was doing. It was like a cheap knockoff. And is that not what we have today is a cheap knockoff of the things of God? And so looking back at our passage here in Acts chapter number four, or Acts chapter number three, sorry, uh, this is at the beginning of the church. This is at the beginning of the works that the disciples, the apostles are doing And we see that it's at the very beginning of the book of Acts that we find the miracles and the signs and wonders because the messengers and the message is still being authenticated. But if you read through the book of Acts, you're going to find that there is a transition that takes place from the beginning to the end, and there's going to be a lot less miracles, a lot less signs and wonders. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, um, there's not really any miracles or signs and wonders being done because the message and the messengers have already been authenticated, right? But at, looking at this passage in Acts chapter 3, uh, whenever these disciples, these apostles, heal the lame man, what we notice about the miracle, okay? It was one that was, whenever this man was healed, he was healed completely. Immediately and permanently, right? And it wasn't dependent on his faith, right? And so he came, He well, he didn't came, come. He, he called out to him expecting to receive a little bit of money. He wanted a few coins to buy a little bit of bread to sustain his miserable existence for another day. That's what he was wanting, right? And they said, silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, Brandon Nazareth, rise up and walk. Notice this man was lame from his mother's womb. This man had never walked before. And so this would have been incredible because if someone has never walked, if they have been lame from their mother's womb, what happens to their limbs? 
They're atrophied, right? Yeah. So his legs were probably yeah. little bony things, right? Mm-hmm. If she's laughing at me doing my little T Rex impersonation, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway, his, his limbs would be atrophied and stuff. Uh, he's never walked. We know from being around Melody here, uh, they don't come out immediately walking. That is a process with bumps and bruises. But this guy, as soon as he was healed, he was healed so perfectly. His limbs were reformed. His uh, muscles were strengthened. And he didn't have to take lessons to learn how to walk. He didn't have to have someone train him. Peter reaches down, takes him up by his hand, and he goes leaping and praising God, running and leaping. They don't start off running and leaping. Not even a deer whenever it first comes out or a horse when it first comes out is running and leaping. They're at least wobbly at first, right? And so he had perfect soundness in all of his limbs. He had perfect ability to walk and to run and to do all these things. And so if people were still able to perform miracles in the same capacity that Jesus and his disciples did, they should be the same way as what Jesus and his disciples' miracles were, right? And so it should be completely without a doubt and without question, miraculous, immediate, permanent, complete, right? And any, anyone today who is claiming to do miracles, do they fit that description? I, I heard the story of a man that went to one of these faith healers, and he said, I want you to pray for my hearing. And so the faith healer put his hands on both the guy's ears and started praying and speaking in tongues and all kinds of things. And when he got done with it, he said, now, how's your hearing? He says, I don't know. It's not until next Tuesday at the courthouse. <laughs> and so you've got that kind of stuff going on. These guys don't know. It's, it's, it's a sham. Uh, there's plenty of uh, stories that have came about with people in a moment of adrenaline. Maybe they were able to take a step or two. Maybe their vision was increased or uh, helped by a little bit. But it's almost as if it was a, a placebo effect upon them yeah. that for a time they were able to see improvement and then they went back to the same existence they had before. Mm-hmm. Or whenever it's, they're unable to receive these miracles, it is a result of them not having enough faith. If you had enough faith, do we find anyone in Scripture that comes to the Lord or comes to his disciples, regardless of their amount of faith, that leaves without because they didn't have enough faith? Even whenever Jesus tells the one man, he says, be it according to your faith. And he says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So he says, I believe, but I'm kind of doubting. I'm not sure if I believe or not. And he still received healing, right? The only one that I can find that would come close to uh, missing out on the miracle because of his faith would have been Naaman. Because he says, I don't believe it. He's told to go and dip seven times into the river. And he's like, I'm not doing that. And so because of his unbelief, he almost missed out. But one one of his servants said, what do you have to lose? At least try it. And so he goes half-heartedly, and he's like, Devin, he's like, one, two, you know, right? And he gets up to the seventh time, and he's like, hey, it actually worked. And he was surprised. And so, as I said, these miracles were to authenticate the message and the messenger. And the greatest miracle is not the healing that takes place of the physical body. The greatest miracle that takes place is a spiritual healing that they receive whenever they receive Christ as their Savior. And so, whenever we get tied up in all these other things, Whenever we get sidetracked in the unimportant, whether they're uh, miraculous, whether they're entertaining, whatever they are, when we get sidetracked from our main purpose, uh, we have, we really, uh, we've got problems. Totally misappropriated the verse because it's talking about the healing of your soul when you get saved. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> we have somebody that loves to use that verse. By his stripes we are healed, yes. okay? <laughs> but as you look through the rest of the scriptures, there's plenty of people who weren't healed mm-hmm. because sickness, disease, and all these things, it is the outward working of sin within mankind. Not our individual sins. I'm not saying that, okay, I say a a curse word and God gives me arthritis. That's not what I'm saying. 
You know, it's not that God is giving us these things because of our sins, but because of the sinfulness within mankind, sin uh, brings forth disease and deterioration and death, right? And that is a result of the sin and the corruption that is within our members. And so as Jesus is working in the lives of these people, really the, the sickness and the diseases that they have is just the outward sign of what's really going on within them. He came to cleanse them from sin and to, uh, to heal them from that, the wages of sin, which is death, right? And so it doesn't matter if a person goes through the rest of their life as a leper or a cripple or whatever it may be, because our life is but a vapor. He's not here just to increase uh, our quality of life while we're here, but he is seeking that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And Charismatics will take that verse as well and say, God wants you to have the abundant life. That means your bank account is full and your wife is pretty and your kids are happy and you've got all the things that you want. Whenever he came to give you the life and more abundantly, he is giving you a life that lasts eternally, right? That's delivered from all of the things of this world, right? And so another thing that I want to bring out about this passage is all throughout this passage, who is receiving the glory? God is receiving the glory. And even whenever we look forward into what Peter is saying in his sermon in the rest of the chapter, which I didn't read, we'll get to probably next week, he tells them that it's not us that did it. Even whenever Paul is writing, he's saying it doesn't matter, Paul, Apollos, Peter, whoever, it doesn't matter, we are just the servants of God. And so they were always careful not to be worshipped, not for them to be glorified. Remember whenever uh, they were on Mars Hill and they wanted to or may not have been on Mars, but anyway, they wanted to come and worship them as if they were some sort of gods, and they refused worship because they said the glory, the worship, and the honor only belongs to God. Yes, Jupiter and Mercurius there. That's what they tried to say that they were. And whenever we typically see today in modern miracle-working scenarios, who gets the glory? The man or the movement, right? Yeah. The man, yeah. That church that heals people, you must go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Look at what we have done today, right? God heals at that church. They they walk down the streets with their their fancy clothes and their nose held high in the air and say, "I'm the man of God, touched not the Lord's anointed." Right? Mm-hmm. What Peter says, I don't say there was a church in our hometown mm-hmm. called Sweet Waters Church, right? And there was a a healing ceremony we taking even place, saved, you know. And, and my brother and them invited us to this thing and say, "Oh, you need to come over," you know. So we went over, and uh, this guy was doing all these <coughs> healings, and that, but you could see it. I said to her, "I said, this is a bunch we of rubbish." We were like, "This is yeah. not We weren't even saved yet. Like we really knew it was right a bunch here. of rubbish, yeah. you know. And and there was a few people that start shaking and all of this and, and the whole lot and. Uh, Old granny comes up, you know, one that in the wheelchair. which no one knew him in the town, but he was there in a wheelchair. And all of a sudden, he can walk, you know. And, you so know, he's an actor with brought help. in. Problem. He can with, walk with, with somebody help, yeah. holding him up on either side. He never got yeah. up and walked on his own. There was no running and leaping and no, praising God. Exactly. So it, was, it was probably his own dad or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, well, this old man. You know. Yeah. And so all this is a farce. It just it oh, it. Yeah. it, it it distracts people. It discredits true Christianity, right? It does, yeah. But whole, sorry, the whole thing about this guy was he came straight from America, apparently, and he learned all of this in America. You yeah, know, yeah, not everything from America is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, <laughs> he learned all of this in America. He learned how to heal people. He learned how to. He learned. They'll teach you how to speak in tongues too. Yeah. Other people are falling for it. But see, you, you bring out a very valid point in that as well is that there is no teaching and training sessions for this. Uh, Jesus isn't showing them the right motions to go through. Whenever you heal someone, you need to do it this way. Because guess what? Every time we see someone being healed or a miracle performed in the Bible, it's different. And I think Jesus was careful. Maybe it was just the fact that 
uh, as the writers of the Gospels was recording it, they, they gave a diverse sampling, maybe. But it seems almost as if Jesus was careful not to do it the same way twice. It's like he's going through it. He's like, well, this time I want to put clay on his eyes. This time I want to touch. This time I'm not even going to go where he's at. I'm just going to speak the word. Because it wasn't him. It wasn't his methods. It wasn't the way he was doing things. It was the power of the Holy Spirit working, right? And so the Holy Spirit is not bound. He's not limited. And he doesn't have to be fit into this little box. He doesn't, you know, Jesus didn't have to be where that person was. The Holy Spirit could go and quicken him from a distance. Right. Yeah. And so if they're being enriched by it, if it's for sale, charge it charge an admittance fee to the, the healing service, right? I think we did pay an admittance fee that time as well, didn't we? Well whatever we did, yeah we did. Well, it was so like you would expect no, 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 no. there was a basket that came around and you needed to oh, for an offering. I never did. But I was going to say that uh, well, whenever you're watching a bunch of actors perform something, you you expect to have to pay a, an entrance fee, right? But the the, the, the place was We weren't even saved yet. We sat at the back and we looked at each other and we said, No, 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 no. This there's no way this is a guard, yeah. And we got up and left and, and his brother and then we're like, Where are you going? What's no, thank you. This is not for us. This mm-hmm. this is not yeah. right. And we left. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have the discernment then of the Holy Spirit. We knew that it wasn't right. And if we continue following this passage here, after the man is healed, people start paying attention to what has just happened. And Peter, instead of saying, Look what I did, or hey, everybody come for a healing, he used it instead to preach the gospel to people. In these healing services, do they preach the gospel? No. <laughs> is that a, even anywhere on the itinerary? Is that anything that's even... That's that's not even in the same room with them. They're well, not even on the same planet Jesus with that. Jesus' name was mentioned, all right? But that, 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 but that tells you that tells you exactly what Matthew 24 says. They, they're doing... These many will come to me in that day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have we not? And we've done these yeah. things in your name. In your name, yeah. You know? But some of the biggest atrocities of history has been done in the name of Jesus. Yeah. You look at the uh, uh, the Inquisitions and the different things that's happened. They did it in the name of Jesus. But it is not anything that Jesus has done. And so we've kind of looked at the negative aspect of this where people get caught up in the miracles and all. But I just want to take the next few minutes and go through this passage that we've read and break it down and see what... Peter and John are actually up to what's actually going on in this. Ignore the miracle and see what their purpose and what they're actually doing here. And so in the first verse, we find Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. This would have been three in the afternoon. This would have been about the time that Jesus had died. Okay, Remember whenever he cried out and said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. And the disciples had made it a point, the new believers had made it a point of gathering together. They would go to the temple because they didn't have anywhere else to gather, right? They would meet up together at the temple, and it would be for a time of prayer and of fellowship. And this was something they were prioritizing, is them coming together as believers and fellowshipping and praying for one another, right? And so this was a part of their regular everyday life. We don't know uh, what day of the week it even was. But they were coming up at the time of prayer. They were gathering together. They were seeking out God. They were praying. They were fellowshipping. They were still in one mind, one accord, right? Something else interesting in this is notice it's Peter and John. Does that strike anyone as funny that Peter and John are going together now? Because what kind of relationship does Peter and John have? Does anyone ever put any thought in that? John is the dreamer. Peter is the doer. Remember whenever Jesus is walking with Peter and Peter looks back and says, well, what about this fellow? What is he going to do? Y'all remember that part? Did they have the best of relationship? It doesn't seem like they had the best relationship. They were personalities that would have clashed with one another prior to this. They probably got on each other's nerves. 
Because Peter's like, let's go do something. And John's just like, I'm just going to lay here with Jesus for a little while. Right? And so they would have been clashing a little bit. But here they are brought together, going to the temple together. And that, that's something you kind of read between the lines one. But the Holy Spirit is already at work in building relationships between them and enabling them to have this love and care rather than this uh, contention that they probably would have had before. Uh, we have a lot of times we just see the 12 disciples listed and think that they were all best buddies. There would have been conf- there would probably been about as much conflict as a, a group of girls in middle school. I mean, there, there would have been all kinds of drama going on in there. Well, they are girls these days. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't go there. The boys seem to be girls these days. Okay. And so in verse 2, the man was lame from his mother's womb when he was carried up, and they laid him daily at the gate of the temple. It's called Beautiful for him to ask alms of those that were coming in. So this man, for his entire life, his entire existence, has had to have somebody to carry him wherever he went to, and he figured that uh, people were going to feel the most charitable as they were going to worship in the temple. And so he had this pretty sweet spot here at the temple, laying outside the beautiful gate, and he was working off of people's generosity at the time, saying, spare a little bit of change for a beggar, you know, for a crippled man. And so as he lay there every day, we see this man's condition, and his condition is a lot like ours in our sin. He was that way from his mother's womb. There was nothing he could do about it. Uh, He was just going by, doing the best that he could, but there was no way that he could ever heal himself. There was no way anyone could help him. It was going to take a miracle for him to get out of this condition that he was in. And in that, it greatly illustrates our sinful condition. We're born with it. It has inhibited us. It has uh, kept us down, and we are bound by our sinful condition. And the only way that we are going to be loosed is a miracle from God. Okay? And so this is a picture that we see here. And not only that, we turn to the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate was a bronze gate, but it was so uh, ornately carved. It was so well done that it was actually said to be of greater value, of more expense than even silver and gold, even though it was made of bronze. And so it would have been something to behold. It would be something beautiful as they were coming into the temple. So you have Herod's temple behind. You have the beautiful gate, and you have the leper. Or not the leper, excuse me. That was last week. You have the cripple, right? And so you have man's condition surrounded by all the trappings of religion and its inability to do anything for him, right? It had all the wealth, all the power, all the prominence and prestige, all of those things were going on, but yet this man lay here day by day, completely unable to be helped or bettered. He could beg a little bit off of the religious. They could maybe improve his life just a little bit, but they could not provide for him healing. And that's been religion down throughout the ages, is that religion might be able to salve your conscience a little bit. It might make you feel a little bit better about your condition. It might be able to to throw you a a coin or two to get you to the next day, but it could not bring deliverance. It could not bring salvation. And it was far removed from what God had ever intended it to be. Whenever uh, Peter and John come up to him, they say to him, uh, the, the famous phrase here, silver and gold have I none, right? Behind this man is the temple and all of the the elegance and the, the beauty that is behind him, wealth and riches beyond imagination, right? And Peter and John come up and say, say, we have nothing. Didn't say silver and gold have I a little bit. They said, I have none. So at that moment, they had not even a coin to give him, or they would have said that, right? It would have been a lie if they said, we don't have, you ever do that? Someone comes up and they ask you for money, say, sorry, I don't have any. And you know good and well you actually have some in your pocket, but I don't have any I'm willing to give you. There's a difference there, right? But they said, we have none. Maybe they had some at home. Maybe they had some at home, but we, he said, silver and gold, have we none? But such as I have, give I thee. Uh, it's been recorded, I can't remember which pope it was, but uh, there was a clergyman that walked in and one of the popes was counting a large sum of money. 
And the Pope looked up at him and says, no longer can it be said, silver and gold have I none. And the clergyman retorted and said, but neither can it be said, rise up and walk. And see, this is what we see the difference between religion and Christ. The, the difference between all of the things that man has uh, brought together and all of these things that, God, that men have done in God's name that are powerless and that are void and can't do anything. The Bible says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, right? And so this was the Jewish religion. It was something that was originally authored by God and corrupted by men. Great wealth and great prominence and power, all of these different things, but they had no ability to help this man whatsoever. And these poor disciples, the poor apostles, came up. They said, we don't have any money whatsoever, but we have something more important. We have something greater than the money that you're looking for. We have something greater than just something to, to uh, get you through to the next day, but we've got something that's going to change and transform your life, right? And what I want to bring out about this this morning is it's easy for us to get sidetracked from the gospel, it's easy for us to get sidetracked from the things that are eternal and life-changing and make our focus on the things that are temporal. Because there are many <coughs> churches, many religious organizations today that are all about social programs and improving the quality of life and charity and outreach in those regards, but they completely uh, ignore the spiritual needs of those that they are ministering to. It doesn't matter if you poke the, the desert regions in Africa completely full of wells and you water everyone until the place comes back green and trees growing everywhere if you have not taken the gospel to them, right? It doesn't matter if you clothe every single child if you just send a mormon on their way to hell. It doesn't matter if you have all these different things going on. If you're for, And there's nothing wrong with charitable works. There's nothing wrong with doing these things, but our first priority is needs to be the gospel. Another thing with this is the the apostles here, they said, silver and gold have I none, and that kept with them throughout the rest of their ministries. We don't find them ever being rich. Uh, Paul was able to say that he had uh, seen times of abundance, and he had seen times that he was in want and in a need. And he said, I've learned that in whatsoever state I'm in, to be content, Right? And so he says, yeah, there's been times that I've slept out under the stars with nothing but the coat that I had on my back and wondering what I'm going to eat the next day, but the Lord took care of me. But there's also been times that I've had an abundance and been able to, to carry great riches and take offerings to Jerusalem and to different people. There has been abundance and there's been lack, but he was never wealthy, right? And we see a lot of churches, a lot of religions and stuff today that are becoming, uh, as I said there a moment ago, uh, they no longer say silver and gold have I none. They have great wealth, lots of assets, but they have completely turned away from the things of God, if they ever had them to begin with. And so our purpose as Christians is not to get, get wealthy in this life. Our purpose as a church is not to hoard up great sums of money or to have the most beautiful and opulent buildings. But our purpose is to take something more valuable than all of that. See, this man, whenever he was here begging, he said, I just want a little silver, a little gold. I just want uh, a little bit of money to buy a little bit of bread to get me through until tomorrow. And Peter and John says, I have something far greater than that. And the man was healed. He went walking and leaping, praising God. Uh, he was able to go out and do what he had never done before. He was able to go out and provide for himself, provide for his family, Right. And he was able to do it with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior of his life. Because he said, whenever God has done this, whenever he has transformed my life in this way, I'm never going to be the same again. I'm going to walk every step in the name of Jesus. I'm going to walk every step praising him. And his life would be completely different because of that time that he heard of Jesus and that he was transformed by the working of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Okay? And so anyway,
something that jumped out, I got a little bit off track here, something that jumped out, out of this passage to me in verse number three, whenever, uh, not verse number three, verse number four. It says, Peter, fastening his eyes upon John, or upon him with John, said, look on us. You ever notice that three little word sentence there, look on us, that Peter said? And I believe this is what we are to do as Christians to this day. Uh, we are on display. We are his uh, workmanship, the Bible says. We are created unto him unto good works. And so for us, the world is looking on us. We could cry out to them, look on us. What are they seeing whenever they look on us? Are they seeing Christ? Are they seeing the works of Christ? And so we need to have this in our mind that the world is looking on us and they are looking for direction. They are looking for help. They are looking for something to satisfy that need within them. And are they finding it in us? And for the disciples here, it's not look on us, look at who we are, look at how important we are, look at how fancy we're dressed or how eloquent we speak. But he says, observe us, look on us. And we need to be living our lives in some way that the people who are around us can observe us, can look on us, and in doing so, they're going to find their way to Jesus. Or they're going to be able to see him in us, Right? So he says, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, reach out to him, took him by the hand. This was someone who had been outcast, been looked down upon. Uh, no one in this world wanted anything to do with this man except for the few people that had pity on him. But Peter and John going about, they had things to do, places to go, but they saw him as a soul in need of help. They took their time. They said, I want to point you to someone who can bring you deliverance. They were willing to get dirty in this world. They were willing to go the places and do the things that others didn't want to do for the glory of God. And so they reached down, they took him by the hand, and they pulled him up. Just him reaching out his hand was a sign of the faith that he had. Because, think for just a minute, this man has never walked in his life. Some random guy comes up to you and says, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, which this guy has heard of, no doubt, he's in Jerusalem, he's at the temple, he's heard of Jesus. But he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reaches out his hand to actually attempt to do it. Unless he believed that there was some power in the name of Jesus... Would he even reach out his hand? Say, man, I've never walked in my life. Do you see my legs here? Do you see this? There's no way I can walk. Are you nuts? But instead, he reaches out his hand. Peter pulls him up and it says immediately, his feet, his ankle bones receive strength. In verse number eight, it says, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. Okay? This man probably has never entered into the temple because he was a cripple. He would have been considered unclean. The beautiful gate was as far as he could go. He had never went past it. And so it is a picture of him being kept on the outside away from God. And whenever he met Christ, there was a way now for him to enter in. He can now come in. And so he came into the temple He's surrounded by all these things going on and all the, the stiff-necked, stuffed-shirt Pharisees are in there. And this guy comes in walking and leaping and praising God. He's shouting, he's hooting, hollering, all these different things. And they're probably telling him, be quiet in here. This is a place of worship, right? But he is walking and leaping, not praising Peter. He doesn't turn from Peter and say, hey, I got to go tell my family he doesn't say, hey, I've got to go and beat up the guy that kicked dirt in my face last week. Right? But whenever he received Christ, he wanted to be near God and near God's people. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? His first priority wasn't to go and run down the streets and tell everybody what happened. He says, I want to go with you guys in. I want to see what's up with this. 
Uh, God has done something in my life through you all, and I want to know more about this God that you serve, this Christ that you are worshiping. And so he goes in with them. And so as we are seeking to glorify God with our lives and we're pointing people to him, whenever they find Jesus, they're going to want what we have. They're all going to want to know the God that we know, right? And I believe this is how they were able to turn the world upside down with the gospel, not because they could heal lepers or they could heal the cripples, but because they were being observed, that people's lives were being transformed. And what happened whenever this man, his life was transformed? Verse number nine, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which set for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. They observed the change that took place in this man. They said, I know what he was before, and he's not the same anymore. Something has happened to him. And verse number 10, and verse number 11 as a lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering what got people's attention. What was it that brought them there? It was that there was a life that had been transformed, that God's power was evident on this man's life. And you say, well, he was a cripple that wasn't able to walk, and now he's able to walk. If that kind of thing would happen today, people would believe. Do you not think that it is more incredible whenever the drug addicted, the alcohol addicted, the uh, abusive and belligerent member of society meets Christ and his life is transformed and now he becomes a productive member of society and a dedicated father and a loving husband? Do you not think that's just as big of a miracle as this man walking? And I'm not saying that you have to be a, a drug addict or an alcoholic or whatever for God to work a miracle in our lives. But whenever God takes and he transforms us and he makes us something that the world doesn't see every day, whenever he takes us and cleanses us and transforms us and makes us godly, the world gets the attention on us and they say there's something different about them. And it's not that they're going to glorify us or lift us up. They're going to say it's not of them. It's of their God. We need to know more about this. Some will mock, some will scoff, some will be critical of it, but others are going to come and say, I want what they've got. And so the power of a changed and transformed life gives credence to the gospel. We can know all the doctrines. We can uh, go through all of the motions. We can do all of the right things, but people need to see Jesus in us. They need to see that he is real because of the real work that he is doing in our lives. And so I think a lot of times we're spinning our wheels by trying to do the things that we are supposed to be doing by our own power and own ability without the power of God actually working, empowering, transforming us. And so we can go out and we can uh, preach on the street corners, and that's okay. We can do that. We can hand out tracts. We can wave banners. We can have signs. We can do all these different things. But unless they can see Jesus in our lives, really we're wasting our time, right? If it is just religious activities, if it is just works that we are doing, but our lives do not glorify God, then as it says at one point in Scripture, that we are become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal, right? And so first and foremost, we need a changed life. And that is one of the biggest miracles, and it is going to signify to the world that our God is real, that our religion is real, and that there is something to it that can affect their lives, that can change and transform them, that there is a hope in it. And we see this going on here. We can get uh, tied up in the whole thing that there was a miracle that happened. God's still working miracles in lives today. Whenever they said, look upon us, we need to be living in such a way that the world can look upon us. And whenever they see us, they need to see us transformed like this beggar was. And whenever they see us transformed like the beggar was, then they must make a decision about Jesus. And it's either going to draw them to him or push them away, but it's going to force them into a decision. I'm not saying just because you live for Jesus, all the world's going to fall at your feet and say, I want your Lord. I want to, I want. 
No, because they rejected Jesus when he was here. But how do we make our witness effective? You better have Jesus in you. You better have the works of God in you. You better be prioritizing that so whenever they see you, they see Jesus. Right? First and foremost. Uh, so anyway, does anyone have any questions, any comments on what we've looked at today? I think it's interesting the guy, when he reached his hand out, like you said, he must have had a little bit of faith. Mm-hmm. It's often those that are completely down and out, and they have nothing left that they can do for themselves that are the most receptive mm-hmm. to the gospel. They're the ones that are willing to reach out their hands. Those that have everything often aren't as receptive. Not that God can't work, but it's almost like it is a bit of a picture to you that those mm-hmm. that have lost it all or haven't got anything. Mm-hmm. Well, it says that uh, they, they who are whole have no need of a physician. Yeah. It says, how hard is it for a rich man to enter in to the kingdom of heaven like a camel? And by biblical standards, most people today are in the place where we're at would be considered rich. And they said, we have no need of God. So it is usually the down and outs, but it's the down and outs. It's the cripples and the beggars that religion doesn't want. Yeah. They want someone who can pay into the coffers, right? Yeah. It's funny, it's funny you, you, you mentioned that people is first Corinthians 14, it's mm-hmm. about the sound, using like a symbol. Mm-hmm. And that speaks against, like, basically um, tongues. Mm-hmm. You know, and unless it's easy to be, the tongue words are easy to be understood. You, um, it become, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're like a barbarian onto it. Yeah, um, you become like a, a tinkling symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, I just find it, it, it is actually appropriate. Mm-hmm. The similarities in that, you know, you you either. Go the world's way with all the miracles and all the signs and mm-hmm. the wonders and the babblings and the vain babblings and become like a tinkering symbol, or you follow after yeah. God and the things that are right and flourish. Well, and in the in the same passages, there is it's contrasting all the signs, wonders, and miracles with with having love as well. And so there's almost that thing of the, the inward versus the outward. And so it's like you can have all the outward things. You can have the signs, the wonders, or the religion. It doesn't even have to be miracles and stuff. You can paint up the outside. Yeah. But if God's never done the work on the inside, then it's worthless. Yeah, very good. Yeah, for me, the tech one is uh, the differences of miracles that used to be done. And now... We don't say that there's no miracles, yes, God's still working behind closed doors. But again, there are a lot of churches that perform these miracles, like you must have faith first. Mm-hmm. But the difference here is like these people, they were not even aware of the word of God, and mm-hmm. just God appears to them and they get healed. They, they get resurrected and, and all these things. And today the focus is like, yeah, before you get miracles, you need to have faith. So, which means to have faith, you have knowledge of God or mm-hmm. you have knowledge of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So with faith, with people who doesn't know God, they, they, they won't be able to get to get healed yeah. or to, to, to receive miracles. So that, those yeah. are differences that... Right. Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so the Word of God brings about faith. But we go back, and this was like transitional times, and so the Word of God was being proclaimed. The miracles was confirming the Word of God. And so it's like, okay, the Word of God's preached, the miracle confirms it, and then the belief comes about. So it kind of still works together there. But There's a serious false teaching out there about... um, the Holy Spirit, once a person gets baptized, then you receive the Holy Spirit, and therefore you have to start talking in tongues and all this rubbish. We've been in a church in Mahanga before that thought like that. Uh, 
And I actually kept on coming back to us and saying, can you speak in tongues yet? I'm like, no. I don't know about here, but in the, uh, in the they, States, they, they will they, teach they, you they, how to. They actually, yeah, they, they start, no, this they is how you have to do X, Y, Z. And I said, oh, I, can't, I can't do any of this. I said, the only thing that wants to come out of me is Zulu. You know? <laughs> and the guy's like, and I said, and to be honest, it's not nice words either. <laughs> so you so you can cuss him out in Zulu and he thinks you're speaking in tongues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, we can know he's saved. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, you need to go rumpy pumpy boom 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 whatever you whatever you say. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't make sense, and that, and that is where we clashed straight there and said, mm-hmm. okay, there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. But then we figured out that it, it came all to this where they thought. Once a person gets baptized, uh, then the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Mm. You know, but, but they, they would, like you can be saved, and then only until you're baptized in a river or wherever in water, then mm. now, now the Holy Spirit's upon you. Okay. That's what, and then they were like, after that, hey, speaking tongues yet, you know. Don't you again. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're not spiritual well, enough yet, you know. Well, you look in the Bible, okay, and compare it to, to what the Bible says, because that's our authority. And... On the day of Pentecost, no one was being baptized until after they were saved. And there is no indication that anyone besides the 120 in the upper room ever spoke in tongues. It says there was 3,000 that were saved, and uh, they were baptized and added to the church daily, such as should be saved. No evidence of any of them speaking in tongues. Uh, Philippian jailer was taken out, baptized. No evidence of him ever speaking in tongues. But Uh, also, it's not vain babblings. Right. It's a, it's, 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 actual language. Yeah, it's actual languages. Yeah. Yes, the tongue words be easy to be understood. Yeah. yeah. And then you get into uh, other ones. Whenever they go to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are saved in Cornelius's house, they speak in tongues before baptism ever takes place. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Can anyone forbid water that they be baptized?" They're already speaking in tongues. So what's you know? Yeah. But that was a sign. That was the Gentiles. So whenever God was doing something new, the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues. So He's doing something new. Uh, that he was accepting the Gentiles. They spoke in tongues. Because it was a language that all of them mm-hmm. could understand. Yeah. Everybody understood it in their own, own language. Own language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But tongues is something that can be so easily manufactured, and that's what you run into in uh, in Corinthians, is that they were manufacturing it. They were, God could authenticate the messenger because the person could speak in a tongue that they'd never spoke before, and someone in the crowd could speak the same language. The Holy Spirit could bring that together and say, hey, there's someone in this crowd that understands this language. They've never learned it before. They speak the words of God because the Bible was not yet written, uh, the New Testament at least. And so they spoke the words of God. This man says, okay, this is what this person said. They compare it with Scripture. They judge it and say, hey, yes, it, it lines up. Well, it seems to be authenticated. She doesn't have English as a universal language. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so everyone would have their own little dialects. There would be... You know, tribal languages, it'd be, you know, you still have this going on in, in Africa or in South America that every little village is going to have their own dialect, their own language. And so you can have, uh, you know, a space the size of County Longford and have 10 different languages represented, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how people get the, uh, get caught up on this. Even the, the whole language thing, it was basically unheard of for 1,900 years, 1,800 years. Made a resurgence in the early 1900s with the uh, different charismatic revivals and whatnot. And uh, that's, that's a whole other story, but it's, it's not of God. It's not of God. People like to say, well, it's in the Bible, so it's, it's still valid. Okay, well, show me them doing it the same as they did in the Bible. Right? Drink poison, right? They like to pick and choose the miracles that they perform. But I will tell you, in West Virginia, where I'm from, okay, they do take up serpents. Do they? They do. Are Are they venomous, though? Yes. They're rattlesnakes. And have they been bitten? Some of them do, and it's whenever they are, whenever they lose their faith. Oh wow! So yeah, it it does happen. Now it's it's rare, but there are some that still do that, and um, 
Because you see, you see, like in um, places in Morocco, the, the snake wranglers and yeah. all of that, but they've been defanged and envenomated, so they're not really taking up venomous yeah. serpents. Well, the yeah. ones that they're doing, they're like they finding them. Take their fangs out. Yeah. They're like finding them in the woods and bringing them in, and turning them loose yeah. during the church service and whatnot. And yeah, it's it's pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. Then they'll have like pictures of people on the wall that they passed away. It's like, yeah, these are the ones that had the faith to take up the serpent, but then they lost their faith and they like Peter sinking, whatever he walking yeah. in the water kind of deal. So yeah, people people like to pick and choose in scripture and and try to twist it to their own weird devices and whatnot. And uh, whenever we start really looking at the Bible and what it is, uh, it's not about those things. It is about uh, Jesus shed his blood to die for whosoever will, that all men would have the opportunity to accept or to reject him, to be saved or to be eternally damned. But he has made that available to everyone. So what is his Holy Spirit? What is the the desire? What is the plan that the Holy Spirit has? It is to make Christ known. Okay? It's not to make us rich. It's not to make us popular. It's not any of these other things. It is to make the gospel of Jesus known. So anyway, we better go ahead and uh, call it quits for uh, for this service. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, we'll take a short break. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we thank you so much, Lord, for the, the day you've given us. We thank you for the passages that we have in your word and how uh, if we, we look at it for what it is, it clarifies and it directs and it prioritizes for us. And Lord, I just pray that we, like uh, Peter and John in this passage, would be uh, living in such a way that folks could see you in us, Lord, that uh, we would allow you to make a change and transform us in a way that we can be a light and a witness for you, Lord. And Lord, whenever we have the opportunities, I pray that you would help us to open our mouths and speak and glorify you, Lord, and tell folks about you and make your gospel known. We thank you so much for all you do and all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.